Well, we are in week one of this new series called The Worshiping Church. And tonight, if you're taking notes, tonight's message is called Costly Worship. Costly Worship. Last week, we talked about a message called His Will, Not Mine. How we need to be His Will, Not Mine type of people. To be the people that say, nevertheless, even though I want this thing, I'm going to throw my wants to the side, and I'm going to embrace what you want for me, God. And we talked about this scripture in Romans 12, verse 1. It says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. A living and holy sacrifice. The kind he will find acceptable, this is truly the way to worship him. You died so that new life could live. He says, I want you to be a living sacrifice. You see, when things were brought to the altar, things were brought to the altar in order to die. God says, I want you to be the kind of sacrifice that you you die at the altar, but a new you is able to live because you are now sacrificing the old you. You are now sacrificing the you that grew up without God to live in a new way, in the new life. That's why our mission at this church is to see people come alive in Christ. We don't want to be the same people that live in the old way. We want, to, we want to become new and come alive in who he is. This is a whole other message, and I'm going to go ahead and step on your toes at the beginning of this one. But Christ is not the last name of Jesus. Y'all know what the word Christ means? Say it loud. It means the anointed one. The Bible says that Jesus left, but Christ is still on the earth. It, <laughs> see, y'all looking at me strange right now. Christ didn't leave. Because Christ ain't Jesus. Christ is the anointing. Jesus was the anointed one. The Bible says, it is Christ who strengthens me. That don't mean pray to Jesus for strength. That means the way you are strengthened in order to overcome every obstacle and go through every struggle is that you have to go deeper into an anointing that's set on you when you sacrifice the old self to walk into the new. You are coming alive in Christ. You are walking into your anointing to do things that you can never do apart from him. Apart from him, you cannot, you cannot raise the dead, you cannot heal the sick, you cannot make the blind see, you, can't make, you cannot make the deaf hear. But in the anointing, Jesus said, you will do greater works than me. So I'm leaving, I'm putting Christ on you, and now you are the anointed one set out to carry the work of his hands. Is this okay so far? He says, I want you to die to you and come alive in him. To sacrifice your wants, your desires, your plans, sacrifice what's normal, sacrifice what makes sense, sacrifice your thinking, sacrifice your way. Sacrifice everything that you know is you and walk into a new life in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 says it like this starting in verse 15. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. You should not be making decisions solely for the benefit of yourself anymore if you are claiming that you are living a new life in the anointing of Jesus. Instead of living for themselves, 
they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. Next verse. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. Now, differently, we know him now. We know him. We know the anointed one in that he gave us the Holy Spirit so that we could walk in what he was, the anointed one of God, the anointed word of God. It says we no longer look at things from a human point of view. We no longer look at things based off of how we were taught. We no longer look at things in the same way. We look at things in a new way. We walk in a new man. We walk in a new life. Everything we should be doing should have this purpose of his will, not mine. I'm going to embrace what he wants, not what I want. There are so many times I want to do things other than come to church on a Saturday night. I would love to go downtown and have a nice dinner on a Saturday night. There's plenty of things I would love. I would love to go check out a movie on a Saturday night sometimes instead of coming here and preach to 20 or 30 people who don't do squat when they leave the church. Oh yeah, y'all don't want to hear that. But I have to embrace the mentality of nevertheless, his will, not mine. God, what do you want for my life? I want to do this, but nevertheless, I will do what you want. So if you want me to sacrifice my time to teach people and to equip people, I will do that much more than a desire to go downtown and play pool. I would much rather equip you with the tools that God has for you and see you come alive in the anointing. I would much rather say I never want to do any of that stuff. I never want to walk into any, any glimpse of darkness because nevertheless, even though I might want to do that, my flesh wants to do that, I'm going to live for you. I'm going to do what you want for me. I'm going to sacrifice myself and give you all of me. And he says, that is truly the way to worship him. If we are going to become a worshiping church, we have got to embrace the idea that in every single decision, with your time, with your money, with your pride, with your reputation, with what you do, with how you use your talents, with how you use your giftings, in everything we do, we have to say, nevertheless, his will, not mine, because I am, I'm going to be a living sacrifice. I'm going to sacrifice everything I have so that he gets glory. We're supposed to look different. Yet the church is starting to look exactly like the thing that Jesus came and preached against. He came and preached against the Pharisees. Priests who knew the Bible better than we do today. But all they did was wear it on their sleeves and said, look at us, look at what we're doing. And there was no life or relationship behind it with their God. It was just practice. And we think how horrible that is, but that's exactly what the American church has become. We got to go to church once a week so that we can be right with our God so that when we die, we get to heaven. I'm talking. A worshiping church looks much different than just people who show up to get their routine in so that they're good with Jesus. A worshiping church looks like a church that will sacrifice anything for the sake of the gospel. I want to challenge that mentality in this series. I want to challenge that Judas kind of praise. 
You know, Judas was a man who walked with Jesus the entirety of his ministry. He was there when people were healed. He was there when the blind opened their eyes. He saw Jesus do everything. All for at the end of the three years of ministry, betray him. Because he wanted that payday more than relationship. He really didn't believe what was going on. Soon he regretted it. But isn't that kind of what we do sometimes? We give God a Judas kind of praise? Oh, we'll go through the motions. We'll pray at the right time. We'll pray before our meals. We'll come, to, we'll come to nights of prayer. We'll come to nights of worship. We'll come to church on Saturdays. We go to church on Sundays. We'll do, all, we'll do our daily devotions. We'll do all the stuff, but you're giving God a Judas kind of praise. You're going through the motions, and you're not changing anything about yourself or what you do with yourself. <laughs> the worshiping church don't look like people who just go through the motions. The worshiping church looks like people who are going to sacrifice everything so that he gets glory in everything. So that when people see breakthrough, when people see victory, when people see you walk into impossible things, it's not, wow, how did you do it? It's what God are you worshiping? There's a story in the Bible about Paul and Silas when they were worshiping in the midnight hour and the jail cells broke open and, 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 all, and all of a sudden they were freed and the jailers, you know, not one time did Paul and Silas mention Jesus. Not one time did they mention an evangelistic, do you want to get saved? But as soon as those doors flung open, you know what the jailer said? What, what must I do for, for, so I can get saved? He knew he needed something because of the way they worshiped. That these people were worshiping in the midnight hour in a cold, nasty jail. The way they worship inspired the jailer to say, what must I do to be saved? But what the church has become is let's teach you an evangelical system of how you can put a track in someone's hand to share the gospel instead of teaching what it should be, that your worship is so sacrificial in the way you act at work and the way you father your kids and the way you spend time with your family, that, that the way you live your life is so different that people start to say, what must I do to be saved? Is this Okay. So I want to open, we're going to be talking about a lot of stuff in this series. I'm going, to be, I'm going to be talking about the tabernacle of David, the tabernacle of Moses. I'm going to be talking about uh, all, all kind of stuff. But tonight I wanted to open up with something a little different. And we're going to start out in John chapter 12. I'm going to read verse 1 through 8. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served and Lazarus was among those who ate with them. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume. Someone say expensive. Expensive perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief, and since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Now, I've already talked about the Judas kind of praise. 
He was a guy going through the motion. He was pocketing the money the whole time. He, he had a whole different agenda. He was just doing what he was supposed to do. Jesus, but what we do is we, we read this passage. There's been many songs wrote about the, 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 the alabaster box and all these things and the, the perfume. And we read this story and we think, wow, Judas is mad that Mary just uh, uh, wasted this entire jar of perfume. And Jesus is coming at him like, no, nah, don't be mad at her. She, she knows what she's doing. But if we read other scriptures, we find something a little different in the context. Look at the same story in Matthew 26, verse 6. It says, meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. Next verse. While he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume and poured it over his head. Verse 8. The, the disciples were indignant when they saw this. What a waste, they said. Verse 9. Verse 9. Okay. It could have it been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. In one account, we see Judas was the one saying, what a waste. In this account, it's all the disciples. This woman has got this jar of perfume that said was expensive, poured it over Jesus, and all the disciples, including Judas, were all complaining. They said, we could have done something different with this. With this. You're wasting all this stuff. Mary did a better thing. Look at what it says in verse 10. But Jesus, aware of this, replied, why criticize this woman for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. She has poured this perfume on me to prepare my body for burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached through the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. What was so great about Mary wasting this expensive perfume on Jesus? You know, the disciples, they, they weren't mad that Mary wasted perfume. They were mad that they didn't see a benefit from it. Because they didn't say, oh no, you wasted the perfume. They said, we could have sold it and done something with it. We could have sold it and given it to the poor. We could have blessed these other people. But instead, you wasted it all by pouring it on him. So I have to ask, what was so precious about pouring it on him that he said she did the better thing? Because let me paint a picture. Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, who has healed the sick, caused the lame to walk, the blind to see, the dead raised, and he is loving people. He says, it is better for her to pour that expensive perfume on me than to sell it and feed those hungry people. So it makes me wonder. Makes me wonder. Y'all know that song. It makes me wonder. What? What is so much better about pouring perfume over Jesus than selling it to feed hungry people? Let me show you a couple of scriptures. Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again, and he sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. He, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that was so amazing that the man found it, buried it, 
and sold every possession he had just to buy the thing he hid the treasure in. Sold everything. Not because he was going to, it doesn't say that the field was profitable. It doesn't say that the field was going to yield him tons of money. It said he sold everything he had, everything he owned, all of his possessions, just to get that field with that treasure. The very next verse gives us another picture, 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and he bought the pearl. Jesus is painting a picture when he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. He says, there is something of such great value about the kingdom. It's like a man who gave up everything for a treasure. It's like a man who gave up everything to buy a pearl. They didn't get anything out of it. They didn't get more money. They didn't get a better investment. All they got was the treasure, and all they got was the pearl. And he paints a picture. He says, Mary did the better thing by wasting everything she had because she had an understanding of what was going on with the kingdom of heaven and the manifestation of Jesus. She's, she understood there was something much more valuable about simply blessing the king of kings than getting something for her, than getting something for the hungry, than getting something for the needy, than Someone else raising from the dead, then someone else being healed of blindness. She understood there was something of great value in this King Jesus, and she was going to waste it all on him. There's a song by Kim Walker talking about, I'm going to waste it all on you. I used to hate that song because I didn't like the idea of singing, I'm going to waste it all on Jesus. But when I'm, I'm listening, I'm, I'm reading this message, there was something in that song, there was something in that message saying, are you willing to give him a costly kind of worship where you are willing to give everything up with no benefit, with no reward, with no increase? Are you willing to waste everything for the sake of his name being made great? In that moment, in that room, all they saw and all they recognized was there was something about this man that she decided to waste everything she had even to get nothing in return just to bless his name. Costly worship. A worshiping church embraces a costly worship where we're, we are willing to give up everything just for the sake of blessing him. I believe there is more to this story than just seeing Mary putting perfume on Jesus. I believe this is a story about motivation. Do you serve God just to see results? Think about how the church promotes Jesus. Come to church to get healed. Come get your blessing. Come receive this. Come get that. But the man who wanted the treasure in the field, the man who sold everything to get the pearl, the Mary who gave up all the perfume, there was nothing in it for them. It was just, I want him. I'm going to give myself to him. But church has become, let me get to church so that I can get, so that I can feel better, so that I can get relief, so that I can get this. But what if the way you receive the things of God is to come before him without any motivation other than God, I'm here to bless your name. A costly worship of even if I never get anything, I'm going to sacrifice everything I am to make his name great. 
Do you serve God to get a satisfaction for you helping people? Do you serve God because it just helps others? Is your motivation you want to see a result? Is your motivation you want to see a fruit? You see, the thing about the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of ministry, it's a promise, not a reason. It's a promise, not a reason. The cause and effect is when you grow in your anointing and you serve God and you grow in a relationship with God, the promise is you will see a fruit of it. But gaining fruit should never be your motivation to serve God. The only motivation that you should ever have for God is simply, he's good and he's worthy for me to give up everything I am, even if it costs me everything I am. Even if it costs my reputation, even if it costs my pride, even if it costs my pocketbook, even if it costs my time, I don't care what it costs, he's getting it, even if I never see fruit. But Jesus said, but there is a promise that you will, but you should never let the promise be the motivator. The worshiping church looks like a people who are not doing something because they want to get something. They're doing it simply because he is righteous and he is good and he is worthy and I'm going to give up everything I am simply to bless him. Even if I get nothing from it. Because he's that good. Y'all okay? <laughs> Pouring out everything. Worship is not just about coming together and singing. We're going to get into this in this series, but let me just talk to you about the coming together and the singing. Can I talk? We have this worship team that gets up here, and they're doing their thing, and you got that you know, sexy-looking worship leader, Jacob Brown. He's just doing his guitar thing, and, and he's singing. And, 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 and you got these, these others on the left and the right doing their thing, and they're leading worship. And half the time, it takes 20 minutes for y'all to get going. Let me tell you what a worship leader's job is. A worship leader's job is not to get you to a place of worshiping God. A worship leader's job is getting people who are already at the place of worshiping God corralled into one sound as one church being lifted up. It is not their job to get you into worship. It is their job to bring everyone's individual, individual worship into a corporate sound. But, but see, what we do is we get to church saying, I've had a bad week. I've had a bad day. I need to get into the presence so I can get better. I need to come get me some worship so I can feel better. Your motivation should never be, I need to get to church so that I can feel better. Your motivation should never be, I need to get to church so I can feel better about my situation. The only motivation you should ever have is I'm getting with the saints of God to give my God praise because I'm going to sacrifice everything to give it to him. Even if it costs my only free time from work. Well, I just can't get to church because that's the only day I have to take a break. Sacrifice your break for the king of kings. Well, I just can't get to church because I got because it's the only time. Sacrifice that thing for the King of Kings. You see, the corporate worship of the saints and coming together is not optional, as people have told you. It is something that God requires among the many other things of what He wants. 
It's a costly, sacrificial worship we should give him. We should never sacrifice this because we've got something going on that hinders it. No, sacrifice the thing and get in the house with the saints to give God praise. Not because it's going to benefit you, but because you simply want to waste it all on him. This is challenging, ain't it? Mark 8, 35 through 36. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. Well, I need my break so that I can, so that I can get refueled. You keep holding on to that. You're going to lose it. I need my time. You keep holding on to that. You're gonna, if you try to hang on to your life, you will stop trying to put together everything on your terms. I need a break. I need a rest. I need my time. I need this. Stop trying to hang on to it. If you hang on to it, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. See, the sacrificial worship is is the key to your salvation. It's I'm going to give up everything for him. And if I give up everything to him, that is the key to open the door to the life that I'm trying to hang on to myself. I listened to a a sermon this week about doors. About how there's doors and vaults these days that they're only open um, by timing. Human hands can't open them. It's a timing thing. They, the vaults open at a certain time, and that's the only time they open. And there's other doors where you got to put in a combination. There's doors at, like, supermarkets where you walk in, they open automatically. But there's also doors that you got to put your hand on it, and you got to open the door. Let me tell you about something about sacrificial worship. There are times that, 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 that it, it, it's like the... Um, the combination or the, or the timing vault where there are certain times and seasons that God's going to pour out things. There's automatic doors when you walk in with the anointing that the door is just going to open. There, there, there are doors with a combination where you got to find a key. But there's also doors where Holy Spirit don't do it and God don't do it and Jesus don't do it. You do it. And the fact of the matter is there's so many of us wanting something from God when he says, I have given you the power to open the flipping door yourself. Why aren't you opening it? Because you are putting your hand on your life and not opening the door to let me sacrifice everything so that he blesses me. Not because I want to get the blessing, but because it is the promise of me sacrificing. Costly worship. Will I give up everything? Because he really is that good. You are good, good. We sing it, you believe it. Because if you really believe that your life would look a whole lot different, your reactions would look a whole lot different. The way you handle situations would look a whole lot different. The, the way you respond to your enemies will look a whole lot different. The way you get aggravated will look a whole lot different. We should be coming something that looks different. We should be coming something that looks new. The only way to become is to sacrifice who you are for the good of our king. Have you given up your life for his sake? Look at verse 36. And and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? We spend so much time trying to hold on to things ourselves, you're actually losing. Because you aren't giving up anything. It's all about what you can do with your hand. And Jesus said, why don't you sacrifice? Have you given up your life for his sake? Have you poured out yourself with no benefit to you? Is your worship costly? 
We're going to enter into a new day of relentless this year, y'all. Thank you, Jacob. Let me say that again. We're going to enter into a new day of relentless this year, y'all. See, y'all scared. Y'all don't know what the new day is. You know what the new day is? I am called to pastor the sheep. I'm called to lead you to a new place. Can I just share my heart for a minute? I am sick and tired of casual Christianity. Where you come to church when you can. We got the same six people serving in the same positions every other week because the rest of y'all, for some reason, don't have time to serve. Well, that's not my calling. Well, why don't you show me you'll be faithful in that and I'll give you something to be faithful with. Yeah, y'all don't want to hear that. I'm tired of casual Christianity. I will do this when I can do it. I, I, I'll serve God when it works for me. No, we are going to look like the worshiping church that sacrifices our time, that sacrifices our wants, that sacrifices our desires. We are going to be the church in Savannah where we are so obsessed with God and so obsessed with how good he is, we will sacrifice everything it takes to, to be a day where people are going to flock here. And you know why they're going to flock here? Let me just tell you, they're not going to flock here because we've got great music and they're not going to come here because we got great preaching. We're not, they're not going to come here because we got great promo. They're going to come here because they're going to hear things like someone got healed at Relentless. Someone who was blind walked into the doors and they started to see. Someone who had, who had uh, cancer was healed and the doctors don't know what happened. They're going to start to hear the things that we're walking in and they are going to flock and they are going to come because something is happening that looks like heaven that they can't find anywhere else. But if we're going to see that day, we've got to become a worshiping church. Half y'all don't know what to do. We're going to see the blind hit the, the blind see. Do y'all understand where we're going? We are going into that day. I believe it. That is the only reason I started another church in Savannah almost five years ago. It wasn't to go through the motions and put on a good show. It was to become a people who worshiped like crazy and did the greater things that Jesus called us to do. He says, I'm leaving and you will do greater things. That doesn't necessarily mean different. It means greater scale of what he did. Are y'all with me? But if we're going to go there, we got to become sacrificial in our worship. There's two interesting things here in John chapter 12 I want to pay attention to. Is this okay? Am I boring you? Yeah, I am boring you? Okay. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Verse 3. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the, the poor. Pure nard was a spice that came from the Himalayan mountains. It was far north, of, far north of India. It had to be imported at a great cost, and we don't know where Mary got this 12-ounce jar of perfume, but it was very expensive. Judas says it was worth a year's wages. Back in those times, that would have been about 300 denarii. Denarii, denarii, whatever you want to call it. 
if you translate that money to today's terms, that 12-ounce jar of the essence of Nard perfume would have been a cost of, of about $20,000. That's a $20,000 jar of perfume. Ain't no woman worth that much money for a perfume. I'm just kidding. I'll find her one day. $20,000. You know, I, I like expensive cologne. I don't buy no $10 Walmart cologne. I, I like, you know, I get the Aqua de Jo by Armani from Macy's. Now, I, I love it. Y'all don't even know about it. This is a $20,000 jar of perfume. I can see why the disciples were a little ticked off. This woman took this $20,000 jar of perfume and broke it and poured it all over Jesus. I can kind of get why they were like, whoa, 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 what are you doing? I mean, couldn't you have taken like an ounce of it and put it on him? Why would you waste the whole thing? We could have fed the poor. We could have bought ourselves some houses or some tents or you know, we could have done something with it. You're just going to pour the whole thing out over Jesus? <laughs> Jesus was blessed by it, though. You know why he was blessed by it? Because in that moment, sitting at the feet of Jesus, she gave him what she thought he was worthy of. And in that moment, she didn't say, he did, she didn't think he's worth an ounce of this $20,000 jar of perfume. Not two, not three, not four, not five, not six, not seven, not eight, not nine, not ten, not eleven, but the whole 12 ounces of it. And she said, I'm not going to give my king a part of what I've got. I'm going to give him everything I have. But what we do is we hold on what's valuable to us. We, with a death grip, we hold on what we think it's worth, what we think is worthy. And we say, Jesus, I'll give you a little bit of this. I'll give you, I'll give you a day a week. I'll give you a once a month serve commitment. I'll do outreach once a year. I'll give a little bit of this. I'll give. We hold on to everything we are. And we give Jesus just a little bit. But she understood something. She, she, he, he gets everything. Why is it that we praise a God who bought our life with his blood, but for some reason we find it hard to sacrifice time? Why is it that we praise a God who bought our life with his blood, but we can't, we can't worship him with our money? We can't, we can't sacrifice our reputation. We don't want to worship and look stupid because we don't want to look stupid. Then you don't really want to give a sacrificial kind of, of worship because I want to waste it all on him. I want to waste all my time on him. I want to waste my life on him. I want to I waste my white boy swag on him. I can't dance. You ever, I mean, I, I can't even do the Macarena gracefully. It's bad. But I will do whatever I can to just give him praise. I want to waste everything on him. What do you mean waste everything? I'm going to do it without a promise of a return. Because I'm not doing it to get something out of Jesus. I'm doing it because he is worth everything I am. 
because he is simply that good. He's simply that great. He's simply that awesome. He is wonderful. He is the, he is the, he is the, 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 the wonderful counselor. He is the mighty king. He is the alpha, the omega, the beginning. I want to give him everything. I want to sacrifice everything. So it's going to cost you something. In this case, it cost them financially. They could have used that stuff for so much more things. But she said, I don't care. I'm going to give it all to him. When was the last time your worship cost you? Costly worship. When was the last time your worship cost you finances? When was the last time your worship cost? And I'm not talking about just coming in here and giving your tithe. I talk about that enough. I'm talking about in those moments when you're on the street and God says, feed that person. But you say, well, I got to buy myself lunch. But you don't want to sacrifice your hunger. You don't want to sacrifice your pocket. Someone else will do it. God will provide. Yeah, he will provide through his people. And he just told you to provide. Sacrifice. It's going to take some sacrifice. It's going to be financial. It's going to be some of your time. But it may also cost you some pride. In Matthew and John, we see two things. In one account, she poured the oil over his feet. In the other account, she poured the oil over his head. Jesus was just covered, and he must have been smelly or something because he was just covered in all the perfume, $20,000 jar of it. And in that time, when Jesus was sitting there, it was customary for the people to do something. You want to know what the custom was? The custom was to wash the feet of the guest. Remember, Jesus and these people came to the house where Lazarus was to commune, to eat, to be together. And something had to be done. We got to wash his feet. But Mary didn't use the customary things like a towel to wash his feet. She used something else. Look again at verse 3. Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard. She anointed Jesus' feet, wiping his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance. Let me tell you something about these times. Respectable Jewish women did not loose their hair in public. In fact, it was considered a mark of a woman with loose morals for her hair to be down. That wasn't something you did. But Mary was so caught up in her devotion to Jesus that she didn't care if she looked like the most least morale person in the room. She's, I don't care if I look like I don't have any, any, any pride. She said, I'm going to let my hair down and I'm going to submit myself before my king and I'm going to wash his feet with my hair. I was praying today about this church, this worshiping church, becoming a church that let their hair down. That we don't care how much pride we got to give up and sacrifice. If it costs our reputation, we are going to worship him with all of us, with, 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 with all of ourselves. A wholehearted God, here is everything I am. I'm going to waste everything on you. What kind of worship are you giving him? Are you more concerned with what people think of you than the worship you're giving your king? 
Do people think you're weird because of the things you say no to? Do people think you're weird because of the things you say yes to? Do people think you're strange because of the things you give your time to? Because there's so many times when you start talking about your testimony of what you're doing for Jesus, people start looking at you like crazy and calling you dumb and calling you an idiot. And you know what you start doing? You start listening to them. You know what you did? You put your hair up. I don't, I don't want to look dumb. I don't want to look like, I don't want to look crazy. I embrace the day that people look at me and consider me crazy for Jesus. I embrace the day that people look at this church and think that church is crazy for Jesus. I embrace the day that the city looks at Relentless and says they a bunch of crazy, foolish people because they're claiming miracles are going on. They're claiming life change. They're claiming all this stuff. I, am, I want to look different. I want the people in this church to look different. Why? That is our call. A costly worship, a let your hair down kind of worship, a wasted all on him kind of worship. We're going to give him everything, our time, our pride, our reputation, our financial security, everything we can just to give him all of our praise. We're going to waste it all on our king. We are going to give him everything we've got. Because we've embraced costly worship. And we can talk about all this all night. About how we got to waste it all on him and give him the biggest sacrifice and all this stuff. But a question will come to mind. And it came to my mind as I was reading through the scripture. Why don't I do that now? Why am I not at a place where I'm willing to sacrifice everything for the sake of his name? Why am I at a place where I'm not willing to sacrifice what I want to do for his call? Why am I not at a place where I, I'm, I can so easily sacrifice my desires for his? Kyle, why, why am I not there? Do you want to know? Do you want to know? Look at John 12, verse 7. I never saw this until I was studying for this message. She had just poured out the, the perfume, washed Jesus' feet, got scorned. She was giving up a pride. She gave up a reputation because the very men in the room who were going to be apostles just scorned her for wasting the perfume. And Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You'll always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. You know something interesting about Mary? The times we encounter her in the scripture, the first time she was at his feet learning from him. There was a time when she was at his feet pouring out her sorrow. And there is a time right now where she is at his feet expressing love and devotion. You want to know why she was so willing to give up her most prized $20,000 jar of perfume? Because she understood something that the disciples obviously did not get. How did Mary know that she was preparing him for burial? Because Jesus looked there and said, y'all don't know. She's doing this to prepare me for my burial. 
Why is it that Mary had a revelation of what was about to happen, but all these men in the room didn't know nothing what was going on? It wasn't because she was more anointed. It wasn't because she was better. It was simply because of one thing. She was totally devoted to her relationship with her king. She was always at his feet, always learning from him, always seeking a relationship with him. And as she pursued a deep, meaningful relationship with her Savior, she got a revelation of what was about to happen that the others didn't get. And because she had that revelation of who he was, she took her most prized possession and broke it and gave it all to her king. Your heart and your mind will be transformed to becoming a person who will give a costly kind of worship as a result of you doing one thing, sitting at his feet day and night and pursuing the King of Kings. That I want relationship with my Savior. You know, I'm going to read this again in Mark 8, 35. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. If you give up your life for my sake, for the sake of the good news, you will save it. Mary was giving up everything for the sake of the good news. The Word of God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the Word becoming flesh was Jesus. So she said, I'm going to waste my life for the good of the Word of God. She was so devoted to the way, the truth, and the life that she did not hesitate to give up everything because it was for a purpose. The purpose of that perfume was not to feed the poor because it could have been sold. The purpose was not to buy houses. The purpose was not to invest it. The purpose was not to get anything. The purpose was I'm going to prepare my friend and my king for burial because he's about to go down so that I could be raised up. We have got to become a church who will embrace costly worship. God, I'm willing to sacrifice anything I can so that you get glory. God, I will sacrifice my needs and my earthly relationships so that you get glory. I will sacrifice my time so you can get glory. I'll sacrifice my pride so you can get glory. I'm sacrificing my reputation so you can get glory. I'm gonna, I don't care what it costs me. I don't care if it costs me my family. I don't care if it costs me my friends. I don't care what it costs. I am giving you everything I've got. You know something interesting about worship, and I'm going to close with this if you'll stand. There is something that we don't get, and I've looked over this so many times in preparing for this scripture. You ever wondered sometimes why you feel like God has not shown up in your life? Because maybe we come at a time in our life where we're giving him this costly worship, and sacrificial worship and we're like God why aren't you showing up why, why can't I feel God can I tell you why we're going to dive into this in this series in the coming weeks I want you to throw up Psalm chapter 22 verse 3 look at this it's the next scripture it says yet I know that you are most holy it's indisputable how many of you know that our God is the most holy you are God enthroned, 
You're surrounded with songs, living among the shouts of praise of your princely people. Living among the shouts of praise of your princely people. Living among the shouts of praise. Some versions say he inhabits the praises of his people. God dwells in, inhabits, lives in the praises. He doesn't live in the complaints. He doesn't live in your tears. He doesn't live in your sad times. He doesn't live in your worry. He doesn't live in your anxiety. He lives in the praises of his people. The incredible thing about becoming people who give God a costly worship is that the more you sacrifice of you to bring him praise, the more you're creating a space for him to dwell in. Because he doesn't dwell in your complaints, he doesn't dwell in your sadness, he dwells in your praise. So the more you sacrifice, the more you create in your life for a place for him to live. The Bible says he cannot pour out new wine in old wineskins. God cannot pour himself into an old you. That's why he says you've got to sacrifice yourself, die to the old, the old you, and walk into the new life. Because as you walk into a new life of a sacrificial praise, you're creating a new wineskin called a praising vessel that I can now dwell in. So the next time you get attacked, the next time you get down, the next time you want to take a little time for yourself, the next time you want to do something for you, remember, he dwells in praise. And that is the perfect moment to say, I'm sacrificing me and I'm giving it to him. If you want to be that kind of church, give God some praise in this house.